Hey, book club gang, I'm really sorry, but I wasn't happy with the audio quality on this episode. You know, we recorded just as we always do, and we used the same equipment, and I didn't find out until later that the quality sounded like we were transmitting from inside a Coke can. Anyway, I hope you still enjoy the episode, and I'll do some troubleshooting before next week so I can give you the best show possible. Thanks again for listening, and on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Hello, Lovelace. And I'm Danielle. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from our pal Matt Strackbean. Check him out at Friends of Strackbean on Instagram. He's been doing some really great BPRD and Hellboy-related art. Yeah, I started following him on Instagram, and wow, I mean, it, it's just like, like every every day almost. It's yeah. Like something new just to, you know, enjoy. Yeah, and um, a lot of it has been, you know, like the Witchfinder, and I think today he posted like Gustav Strobel and stuff, so he's been drawing a lot of really cool stuff. Check him out there. He writes, I really love how much props you guys give to Dave Stewart. He is one of the first colorists I can recall getting a credit on comic book covers. That's how important his work is to Hellboy books. In fact, I've bought comics from other publishers that I normally wouldn't just because Stewart was coloring them. Here's a link if you want to learn more about Dave Stewart's history and process. I really liked it. It's very dry. I, it's That's not a but. That is a and. Yeah. I'm into that. I like very... It gives you information about his, his process. It's very like, and this is how I do this part of the process, and this is how I do this. And it's a very... Ma- he's a very matter-of-fact guy. It's right. very relaxing and refreshing to listen to him talk about all that, and I really... YouTube video? I dig shit like that. Yeah, it was a two-part YouTube video. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely send me that, because... Um, it's definitely my, my uh, thing. Well, I like to watch, like, artists on uh, yeah. YouTube. You know, because, I mean, first off, you got Bob Ross on there, but then there's all these <laughs> all other ones that have a similar kind of effect, you know, soothing voice, yeah. talking about their technique. Yeah. And, you know, just... And it's just fun to watch people make art. Yeah, and it really was... I mean, the stuff that they were talking about, I was... I enjoy learning about that. Yeah. It's very cool. But uh, there's one part. Uh, sorry to spoil. You really should check it out. I mean, he's being interviewed in front of a bookshelf. <laughs> oh yeah, I was laughing about this. Yeah. There's like seven or eight Eisners like just behind him lined yeah, no, up. You can't you can't help dude. but look at it. It's but incredible. he's like, but he's so humble. He's just like no, talking yeah, he just is. very matter of factly. He's got all of these awards really behind him. him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was or, really cool. Anyway, yeah, That's so check awesome. it out. It's yeah, cool. I'm going to post that on our Facebook so everybody can check that out. Matt writes, Anyway, great episode, and don't think I haven't noticed how angry Aubrey gets at the sight of the Black Flame now. <laughs> Kill the Black Flame indeed. Damn <laughs> <laughs> Colin DeGraff sent us a message on Facebook. Hey all, wanted to thank you for the fine work you're doing at engaging the listenership. I'm intimately aware of the time and effort that go into things like this, and wanted to let you know that your efforts are only adding to the enjoyment of the books. So thanks so much, Colin, for that, and he also gave us a great review on Facebook. He said that we have good humor and recaps that are well-structured. The podcast is an easy listen and never feels inaccessible. Better still, the hosts are well-versed in the mythology and folklore stories that inspire the universe and shift back and forth between the compelling narrative and the inspired realities behind them with great insights. Whereas some comic-related podcasts can come across as nitpicky or hostile for the sake of it, the Hellboy Book Club podcast revels in the positive aspects of the books and eagerly involves their audience with compassion and excitement. 
Oh, that was really nice. Yeah, thank you for nice. that description. Thank you. Joshua Worley also gave us a review on Facebook. He said, it's like being at a table with a few drinks, talking about your favorite comics, <laughs> and just happen to wander in interesting topics along the way. It's fun. Well, we do all happen to have a beer right now. Yeah, we are. We're recording yeah, on the, Friday yeah, night. It is oddly Friday. So. Yeah. Here's the rule to the rules of beer. Edgar Losa on Instagram said, Hey, you damn guys. I'm finally caught up with the podcast. It's been amazing. Not only to read with you guys, but also to continue my collection, digital and physical. And for that, thank you. Just to finish this rambling once again, I'm preparing for Hellboy in Mexico. Not only because I'm Mexican, it's my favorite story, but also because it was my first physical Hellboy comic book, the Spanish version. So yeah, um, we really need to get to that. I want to, I need to talk to Mark Tweedo. I want to kind of see if we can get to that before the movie. I wasn't planning on it, but now it seems like there might be some of that. Right. Some of the elements of the Hellboy in Mexico might be in the movie. So, Lassa Jurgensen said on Facebook, Hello guys, who are damned? You have earlier talked about other comics similar to Hellboy and the Mignolaverse. Two examples where I felt a great likeness to Hellboy is Atomic Robo by Brian Clevinger. It has a lot of Nazi bashing. The other is Andrew McLean's Head Lopper. It's about a warrior carrying around a living decapitated head of a witch. Not unlike the corpse. Keep up the good work. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that. And I know that Mignola did a variant cover for a Headlopper issue, but I haven't read Headlopper. I've heard it's, it's really good. Some feedback on the warning and Johan in general. Mark Tweedell said, sorry in advance for the really long comment. Never apologize for that, Mark. Mark Tweedell. I find Johan an interesting character. He presents himself as someone ruled by reason but he's actually ruled by emotion. He doesn't know this about himself. In this regard, he's very similar to Breaking Bad's Walter White. The thing is, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's been the source of some of his greatest kindnesses. Johan lived a life as a physical medium, and through his ectoplasm, he felt people's emotions in a way that we don't experience. He was extremely empathic, and he used that to spend his life helping other people deal with grief. That's a good point. I think it's very telling that his greatest shame before he joined the BPRD was when he selfishly ignored the feelings of others and indulged in his own. It was one of his darkest moments, an act that stained a lifetime of good work. And when Johan had to live as ectoplasm in a bag, his entire existence fundamentally changed. He no longer experienced touch in the way that we do. All sensation is a thousand miles away. Not just the good, but the bad, too. And he lived that way for years. Every day, in hundreds of invisible ways, we say no to our desires, denying ourselves a hit of dopamine. We're so used to doing it, we don't even notice it. For Johan, these mental muscles atrophied. So when he hits a body again, not only is he drunk with sensation, he's lost any kind of mental resistance to dopamine. Very. I figure that, yeah. over time, those mental muscles would have strengthened again, but he never had time before his body was taken from him again. He went from no sensation to an extremely overloaded reward system, then back to being cut off from it again. That's a very good point. Yeah. So I don't agree with the notion that Johan was always a terrible person, just hiding it very well. Rather, I think that he's gone through something no human has ever experienced before, and something integral in him has broken in this process. One last thing to consider. In life, Johan was naturally empathic. It was never something he had to work at. But living in the bag, he's cut off from that mechanism, unless he literally sprays out his ectoplasm onto people. In Killing Ground and The Warning, he's experienced the most extreme emotions of his life, 
while also having zero natural ability to feel empathy. Empathy only exists as a construct he has to logic himself into thinking about, something he really sucks at, by the way, because for most of his life he never had to do it. So think about this. That moment in the warning when Abe puts his hand on Johan's shoulder to comfort him? We know what that feels like, and recognize the comfort there. But in that scene, Johan does it. Logically, he knows Abe's hand is on his shoulder. But the emotional component is utterly absent. Johan used to do the emotional labor of trying to behave more human for the sake of others. But he's in such an emotional turmoil now, I don't think those concerns ever register anymore. Abe's gesture is such an empty experience for Johan. I don't think Johan even recognizes what Abe is offering. The only emotions outside of what Johan feels in the warning are those of the people that died on the street where he once lived, which only compounds his own emotions. We're seeing a Johan with his emotions turned up to ten, while everyone else's are on mute, and Johan's so consumed he can't even recognize they're on mute in the first place. When Johan was a human, the emotions of others were virtually never an abstract concept. Now they always are. Johan needs to find a way to live as a ghost in a bag that won't drive him insane, because at the moment, he is right on the brink. Very insightful. Yeah. That was one of the best, you know, oh, descriptions know. of that whole thing. Marky yeah. Yeah. Marky Tweeds. Yes. That, that gives me a lot of insight into that yeah. character, so I really think that that's a very deep and rich way to look at um, I, I do wonder, though, if, because it would register, if someone's been cold to you for quite a while, and all of a sudden they're trying to reach out to you, some of that has to get through a little bit. And so, but like you said, finding his way back into a happy medium. Right. So to speak. Uh-huh. Yeah, anybody? Oh, yeah. man, that was good. Uh, <laughs> but no, I understand. So that, that does give me a little more insight and does... Um, add another dimension for me so yeah. thank you for writing and that that does kind of uh gray it out a little yeah when you know i mean and he he doesn't have when you when you don't have to practice a behavior and all of a sudden people are expecting you to just know that behavior that's impossible yeah it's impossible and i have a i struggle with that in certain areas i'm sure all of us do of like all of a sudden you're expecting to know how to do this thing and you're like well i've never I don't understand how to do that thing. So that's, yeah, that, that is really insightful. That's good stuff. Jen Nikla said, I learned to love Panya, and what I really love about her is that she seems to want freedom for everyone. Freedom for Liz from Guilford. For her pets. I always assumed she just helped Edward and Co. with creating them, and especially for herself. She may not be one of the most important characters, but she's just plain fun. Same for Bruno. He's just so nice and pleasant and nice. More Bruno and Kate, please. Also, am I the only one that finds it funny that Kate gets hit on by two Germans? Can we be happy for her that she never met Von Klempt? Uh, something cool about Panya is I think she's she's the real she's what witches really are. She's she's just a cranky old lady yeah. who really just wants everyone to chill the fuck out and have a good time. And I dig that, but she's also very. She, she uses her power in a restrained kind of way, in a way of like, well, I guess I need to do this now, kind of a thing. And she's she's careful with it, and she's but she's also whimsical and wants to bring a little bit of extra to everyone's life. Just a little bit, a little layer to everyone's life on top of it, which I like. Yeah, yeah, I love that character. He also said, uh, regarding Guilford, the thing is, the BPRD had all reasons to distrust him. 
just because he does the same shit every warlock does in the world every Tuesday. He looks mean, he acts manipulative, and he doesn't seem to consider anyone worthy of his time, if they aren't able to throw flames around or be important for the apocalypse. If he would just come out and act less dickish, he could have gained their trust. Otherwise, he has to be considered for the kind of monster the likes of Rasputin was known for. Also, it doesn't help that he got stuck in an asylum for years. And if the lobster hates you, you have to be a bad guy. Mr. Johnson may be a bloodthirsty sociopath, but he has a nose for jackasses that need to be put down. Here we get a lot of very emotional moments from Johan, but also hints that he can be more than the investigator and the go-to ghost guy. He controls a giant monster. That's a big advantage. This story shows that he could be on the same power level as Liz. Mm, you're talking about Omega level mutants, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, because what if could he take over like an Ogdruhem oh, or something shit. like that, or could he like I don't know? No, that's true. You know, like what is the what is the yeah. limits of the his power? Of that? You know yeah. what I mean? That is frightening. That's interesting. I think he probably could as long as the Ogdruhem is actually dead. Yeah, it seems like. Have to be dead. I don't know. I mean, that's well, I mean, something probably, to think yeah. about. Okay, well, I'm saying it would be dead because that way it keeps the spirits left the body or something like Could that. Could it be truly dead? Because something, something, yeah. sleeping lies and something never dies. Oh, right, right. That famous quote. That famous quote. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, yeah. whether is it, would Johan have to be, would he, like, I don't know, it's interesting. Well, How dare you bring this up, first of all? I guess, I guess like, Yohan would have to fight the spirit of the Adrian, and then once he defeats the Adrian spirit, he would take over the Would Adrian he be body. driven mad? Mm. Probably. Kind of a thing. And Liz, we haven't, I, I wonder if we've even, we haven't even seen a fraction of her Omega shit. Yeah. No. Yeah. And she did warm him up that one time, remember? Oh yeah, he was all toasty with the <laughs> yeah. little smoke coming out. I love that. Joshua Worley said, first, welcome back everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Kicking off the Thank first you. part of the Scorched Earth trilogy. So that's what they call this. The warning is the part of the yeah. Scorched Earth trilogy. The warning gives us turmoil in the team and chaos in the world. So many awesome moments in this arc. Which to choose? The scene with Johan being driven through the wreckage while releasing his ectoplasm in his own neighborhood. Sad, poignant, selfish. But who can blame him? Living is tough for a dead man who won't let go. And now he has revenge, or is it a burn for justice to fuel his desire to stay among the living? This broken type of character is why I love this title. Hmm. When Guilford or Memnon Sa goes off saying that Liz is the fist of the assumption, do you remember when he went on that big rant at the yeah. end of the yeah. warning? Uh, Nathaniel Green said, This is grade A psychobabble. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Abaddon said, Panya is odd. I keep expecting some ultra-nefarious thing from her. <laughs> when I posted the comparison shots of Guilford's lair that we kept going on and on about last week, mm -hmm. Stonecutter Cam said, two masters of their craft. Can't wait for Lobster Johnson next week. Steve Santiago Art said, love Guy Davis's art. It's too bad he replied in the comments of his Instagram post that he had no more comments planned in the future. His movie concept art has become so detailed, it would be great to see how he handles comic illustrations now. Mm, yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah. Just, does it just take up, he's decided that's the direction he's going? And... Yeah, I think that he just gets more work for that. There's, sure. um, there's this, uh, I already have Crimson Peak on Blu-ray, right. but mm -hmm. they just released, like, a 
special edition version <laughs> and that's all the the art is done by guy davis sure. on the dvd package and it looks like really amazing you know and so i think yeah. he's just getting so much more demand for stuff oh, like that of course, yeah. sure. i mean obviously you know you have to but his style has become even yeah. more detailed over time yeah absolutely yeah. i just um i know that there's a huge difference between doing you know sequential art and doing design i just wonder if this is something that he's like, right no, this is where I want to be going, this is the direction I'm headed, but I wonder if he would ever take a trip down memory yeah. lane, and I don't yeah. know, who knows. Yeah, it would be great to see some more comic art from him, no matter what, he's too. Of, exactly, whatever it is. So when does, wait, when does he make a future of art? It's going to happen, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay, so, I'll okay. Tell you. But I just got to remember, because these comics came out, like, Fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's all like, wait, he he left the book. He's like, uh, dude. Yeah. Well, no one can obviously no one can fault him for pursuing whatever it is he wants to pursue. I think that's great. Yeah, and we're gonna get some really great art. We're gonna get some really, you know, we're gonna we're gonna love some other artists for a while too. But not yet. We're not saying bye to Guy Davis yet. But prepare yourself. His design work is amazing. So I am glad that that stuff is yeah exists and oh, he's yeah. doing that when i posted about the pelican monkey jason abaddon said panya's menagerie got transplanted along with her no one wanted to leave an island of oddities to breed uncontrollably <laughs> on the things i forgot to talk about section the fucking raffle i didn't talk about that last week the, oh, the raffle right. on mike Mignolo's art uh-huh. so so yeah, they raised almost three grand nice. for the for the cancer research, and I was one of the winners. Yeah, so I won. I I won one of the prizes, and so I ended up getting the Mike Mignola's art prints. Cool. So cool. I'm gonna get both of those prints. Um, they've already arrived. I just need to go pick them up. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks so much, Craig McKnight, for all your hard work. I think it was a huge success. You know, congratulations to all the winners, and thank you so much for supporting that cause. And I can't wait for the next one. Some other things I forgot to talk about. So there was this part on the warning when we were reading last week where the helicopter explodes and Abe gets thrown back, mm-hmm. and then the issue ends and then in the next issue he's having this vision and there's like a box of fire and he throws Edith Howard pick he sees yeah, her right, picture yeah. fall in there and then he turns around and the the call house from Rhode Island is all on fire yeah. like we didn't talk about that what what was the meaning of that um, what did you think was the meaning of that vision my thought thoughts on it was that he's kind of finally putting this to bed yeah you know yeah moving on um he's been spending a lot of the time all depressed by this all kind of shit. Right. So, you know, maybe it's just like letting it go so he can go on and be yeah. who he is. Yeah, I just thought, I, I couldn't believe we didn't talk about that. And then I also, we've talked a lot about Johan so far, but like, I felt that they gave him a really, this really big emotional beat in the warning. I think it was kind of like, to make us not, hate him so much yeah i was wondering if maybe that was the logic of having that part in there to kind of bring him back a little to bring him back a little yeah after the stuff that happened in the killing ground and all that and even in the prologue to the warning out of reach so anyway that's just some things that i forgot to talk about well uh, i will say i i have never stopped liking him on but sometimes i get a little disappointed in yeah (laughs) But well, it's, um, like but, we were talking yeah. about, everyone's complicated. And oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I did like this uh, past story. I do feel like it is something that uh, 
you know, I do think he really was trying to get some sympathy. Yeah. From the way he was acting in the previous story. All right. And now we're going to get to our book club story for the week, Lobster Johnson, The Iron Prometheus. This story was published as a five-issue miniseries from September 2007 to January 2008. Story by Mignola. Art by Jason Armstrong. Colors by Dave Stewart. And letters by Clem Robbins. And I really love this story. This is one of my favorites. I, I, I was really excited to get to this. I remember when this came out in the issues, I, I was just I was just loving it. I, I was very, I was like, what is happening now? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I, I had a lot of fun reading it. You know, no, yeah, it, it was fun. It, it was good. Of, uh, I just, at first, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it made me think of like 1940s. Yeah. Uh, like that whole noir. The pulp. Pulpy stuff, yeah. genre kind of thing, and just the way the way the dialogue was, yeah. and everything. What do you see? What do you say? What do you see? <laughs> what do you say? We open in New York City, nineteen thirty-seven. A large man with a hat sneaks around with a large case. He opens a door. I like the the way the the panel with the hand with the key. Yeah, going to the lock. Something so small and almost inco- inconsequential, but it's got so much expression. Really. Yeah, let's talk about Jason Armstrong's art yeah, a little man. bit. Um, I really like this. It's almost... Um, Somewhat owning a little tiny bit. I was going to say Darwin Cook. Yeah, Darwin Cook for sure. But it almost oh has God. an animated... It's a little bit more fluid. It feels a little bit more... I don't yeah. know. I, I, yeah. I think like it, I almost see it as like a cartoon almost. You know, like I could almost see the... I love Darwin Cook. It's got an animation feel to it, like storyboards, yeah. more storyboards yeah. than anything else. That's a good that's a good description for it. You so know you could say it was like a like a highly detailed like from the style from the anime Batman the anime series. Yeah. Ah, that's yeah. yeah, maybe that's what I, it's reminding me of. But it's a combination of like combination very, yeah. of all of that stuff. Yeah. You, you know, uh it's so funny that you say storyboards. So when Jason Armstrong was doing the rough layouts, mm-hmm. um they Mignola almost wanted to that to be the comic, I think. Wow, interesting. Or, or was it Guy Davis? I, it says it in the sketchbook. It might have been Guy Davis, but they almost wanted that to be. We gotta go back for, and look at that. Later. We'll we'll get to it at the yeah. end. We'll, we can look at that again. This man opens a door, goes upstairs. He enters a room, and just as he is about to turn on the light, a voice tells him not to. You were followed. The door creaks open, and we see a silhouette of a man, then a large ape. Behind the man, we see the goggles of Lobster Johnson, just as the ape attacks. I think it's a Yeti. I think this giant thing is a Yeti, yeah. yeah. Get down, the lobster yells, and he shoots at the Yeti as it attacks, and throws the lobster across the room. Is that a six-claw bathtub? Interesting. It's just interesting. Oh, shit, it is. They have a good action beat, and the man starts opening the case and putting on a robotic suit that's inside. Ah, oh, geez, what am I doing, he says, as he does right. it. The ape and the lobster continue on this really kinetic fight. I like all the beats. First he kicks it, and he hits it with the lamp, and then the man with the suit, he unleashes this shock of energy from his hand, frying the Yeti. I like that suit, the lobster says. <laughs> and he burns the lobster's claw into the Yeti's forehead. The lobster. What's going on here, the man says. That's a very good question, Mr. Sachs, the lobster says. Are we going to just scoot right past the part where the Yeti turns into the skeleton now? Yeah, so when he burns the lobsters, yeah, you're right. Is it magic? That's my question. Well, I think it was a man, and it turned into the Yeti. Right, okay. because uh, I think like when he kills it or whatever, and then he burns the thing into it, it turns back into a man. 
Kind of like when you kill a werewolf, it turns back into a man. Like in a lot of depending on the mythology. Yeah, is depending this, on the uh, story. What I'm asking, that I is this similar to the um, Wendigo thing? Are they is the Yeti? And oh Wendigo, yeah, that's because a good point. Typically, I haven't heard of that being a thing. The Wendigo, yeah. The Yeti, no. The Yeti is a separate creature. Right. 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 But this is a a were this is a magic yeti. yeti. Were yeti. Wow. Yeah. I like a were yeti. Yeah, I've that's pretty good. That. I guess that could be a thing. And this is yeah, I'm glad you pointed out that detail. Thank you for that. Like his underpants for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> They're fuzzy underpants. The man asks how the lobster knows about him. Nobody could know I was here, he says. See this piece of paper? It has your name and this address. Two hours ago, I found it in the pocket of a dead German agent, the lobster explains. Germans, Mr. Sachs says. That Hitler looks like trouble, and I bet he'd love to get a hold of this suit. I read the papers. That, hate, that Hitler's about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, the lobster responds, and it's not just Hitler. And he picks up this medallion from the fried Yeti. The lobster calls Lester on his headpiece. They're surrounded outside, and we see agents all around the building. The lobster tells Lester to keep his head down and directs Mr. Sachs to the basement. He says, you can call me Jim. There's a lot of Darwin Cook on this page where he's talking about the Germans and that. Yeah. Um, but not that he doesn't have his own distinct style and, clear, you know. Has yeah, to, yeah. He's clearly uh, worked very hard on his own art, and I'm not trying to say that he's in any way trying to emulate anybody right. at all. Just, um, it just has that feel, right? That feel, yeah. Buster tells the lobster to hurry. They're coming around back. And the lobster and Jim are confronted by some men. Cook them, boys. <laughs> so much for the, here is the claw. Here is the claw. The lobster shoots the men. Jim takes out the guy from coming from behind, totally frying him to dust. Oh, jeez. I didn't mean to, Jim says. Jeez. Jesus, right. Although, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's got swastikas all over and stuff. You know. So that, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> the lobster should have said, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the lobster calls for Bill in his headpiece, and there's a boom from below. The lobster and Jim jump down the hole and are greeted by Bill. He also tells Jim, I like that suit. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Sachs introduces himself, and the lobster reveals he knows everything about him. A 34-year-old failed baseball player from Wabash, Indiana, who, with only a fifth-grade education, has been working as a lab assistant to Professor Galaragas for the last three weeks. How does that happen, Mr. Sachs? How does he? And the guy's like, he just knows, kid. <laughs> so he's well, assembling the team. This yeah. Is what we're getting. Well, sure. I'm no big brain, Jim says. I was hauling freight, delivered some big boxes to the professor, and, well... He just said he needed somebody to help him out for a while. It's not like I was doing any real science stuff. I've just been wearing the suit while the professor and his daughter ran their experiments. Up until yesterday, anyway. And so we see the daughter, Helena, she tells Mr. Sachs to run with the suit, and she's got a gun. Some guy's busted into the lab. I didn't see who. Helena, that's the professor's daughter, she made me take off with the suit. I didn't want to go, but you know, the suit. The VES prototype, the lobster says. There is a little detail here. I don't know. Remember when we read The Dead, there was that creepy scientist that they found in the fourth sub-basement who turned himself into a flesh moth bug? Yeah. 
Remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that creepy. Yeah. Dr. Ice. The guy that was eating, like, mushrooms and pooping in his... Yeah, <laughs> it disturbed you so much, that's all you remember? Yeah. And then, so, the ghosts of the of the scientists that were against him, they they helped Johan to destroy him, remember? Mm-hmm. There was, like, the other, the his colleagues, they didn't like him, and they all turned against him. Those colleagues that turned against him, they were trying to replicate Dr. Galarraga's experiments. Interesting. Yeah. That was an interesting detail. It is an interesting detail, and I appreciate it. That's what they were working on. Yeah. And they mentioned Dr. Galarragas in that story. Although I am concerned about villainizing people who eat exclusively mushrooms. (laughs) No, no, no. Just that No, I'm talking with you. But although mushrooms are super good. But he is very creepy and terrible. They were getting bugs, too. Yeah. Bill, Jim Sachs, and the Lobster ride a small boat through the underground sewer tunnels. I've been so busy looking for a place to hide out, I haven't been thinking about Helena or the professor, Sachs says. Must have been your German agents. Ah, geez, if they got me. And the Lobster pulls a Batman on him, right? Yeah. (laughs) Relax, kid, Bill says. He's always taken off like that. You'll get used to it. Bill says he doesn't like this part of town, not because of German agents, because of cannibals. And we see some skulls in the water. Bill explains most big cities have them. London and Paris are still the worst. The stuff I've seen down here, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, you don't want to know. Who likes catching up fast? So, uh, are we going to, again, are we going to... What did I skip Are we going to slide on by this thing? The where cannibals are just, just... cannibals are just like... Oh, no, I, I was definitely going to mention Because it's just like, I'm reading the song, it's like, can't cannibals? What is yeah. the cannibal population of Houston, do you think? I mean, it's one of the biggest cities, yeah. so, I mean... I mean yeah. And these are all the other cities that are listed are pretty big. It's a percentage, so. yeah. Well, we're bigger than all of them except New York. Right. It's like so. in the in the '90s, there was this huge thing with like vampires or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Was cannibals the next? Your <laughs> <laughs> cannibals the new vampires? Let's just see the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Bill calls for Harry to open up, and a large door rises in front of the boat. I got our boy, Bill says, and we see the lobsters hide out. Two other men work up there. And we see the blonde guy with glasses. We also saw him in Killer in My Skull. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really um, feel like I've seen this particular panel. We saw him in Killer in My Skull, and then there's another blonde guy right. but this in Night panel, Train. Some, I get so much, I just get this sense of deja vu when I look at it. Well, you're so encompassed in the universe uh, now sure. that you're just part of it now. Wait, so he's had two different... Blonde-haired dudes with glasses. Well, see, that's the thing is, I don't know if they're the same guy. Mm. I, I think I that the one, the same guy the, 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 well, the well, the one from Killer in My Skull, I think it is, but the one from Night Train, I'm not sure. I, I well, guess it probably. We're is. stepping on the joke here because he says he likes the suit. Yeah, he goes, oh, "Hello, yeah. Mister Sachs. I, I like, like that, that suit." suit. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Chinatown. The lobster has brought the medallion. We saw him take off the fried yeti to be inspected. How would you describe this medallion? Have you had a chance to look at it? I guess it's not, it's not a very good picture of it right here. It's pretty badass. There was a good one on the cover. Yeah, and so it's kind of like a skull, and it looks like it's got a, uh, snakes coming through its eyes. There's one coming through each eye socket. The storefront says the Mandarin. Inside we meet Mr. Singh. Gold with jade, maybe 200 years old, he says. You want to sell this? I could get you a very good price. You're trying my patience, Mr. Singh, the lobster says. 
It's a symbol of the Chut, a legendary tribe of warriors and madmen. 900 years ago, they came down from Serbia to fight for Genghis Khan, believing that the gods had chosen him to be their new emperor of the world. When he died, they cut their hair and broke their weapons and went back to their mountain. And the world has never heard of them since. You say you found a man wearing this today? No, because that could only mean the prophecy, <laughs> right? And so this kind of ghost lady comes in, walks into the room. Mr. Singh says, daughter, go back to bed. You are not well. They shall put on the old signs and gather under his banner, she says. And he shall raise the old cities and make them new again. And he will tame fire to breed dragons. Who is he, the lobster says. Memnon saw, she says. And the man screams out. He is here. When I read this story, I really think of this. I think it was voice actors in which said James Hong. Okay. He's hilarious. He was in, he did a voice in like Diablo 3. Okay. He's in a bunch of different animated stuff. He's a great voice actor, but he's hilarious. And I think he would be perfect for this guy. Awesome. Yeah. What was his name? James Hong. Anyway, I love voice sorry, actors. No. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I always. Yeah. <laughs> I like when you can recognize a voice actor too. You're like, oh, I know that yeah, voice. Yeah, you know, I right. know that voice exactly, and I know that feeling all the time. Because I, as I've said before, I think animation is dope. And if you're not down with it, I don't give a shit. There's a great documentary. It used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there, but it's called "I Know That Voice." Mm-hmm. Have you mm-hmm. have you seen that? It's really good. Super good. I recommend it. I mean, voice actors. It's a whole thing. It's a whole different thing. Apparently, like the, yeah. you know what I mean. So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think that, that would, he would be perfect casting for this if it was like an animated episodic show. I think yeah. Really well in this role. Anyway. It does look animated to me. It does, yeah. Well, we were talking about that, so that I started thinking about voice actors. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Back in the lobster's hideout, Jim talks to and drinks with the lobster's men. He explains the VES prototype stands for Vril Energy Suit. Is it Vril or is it Will? I don't know. I guess it's real. Okay. Until someone corrects us, you know, send us a hey, you damn guys or something. Yeah. I like how they just all just, but how they're all just sitting and chilling. He's got his leg up on himself. Yeah. Home dude's got a pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And then I guess whiskey? Yeah, that's probably what they're drinking. I love the rolled up newspaper in the back pocket. I like how, like, all this kind of stuff is going on. Cut to these guys who's having drinks in the in the in <laughs> right. The is this the first BPRD? Is that what we're seeing? Is that what's going on? This is the lobster's crew. I yeah. mean, it's I don't know if he's necessarily the BPRD, but but is this where it, like a because he's is he a vigilante or is he a government vigilante? Is he a government? Well, we talk. We're going to talk about that. We'll we'll get to that. Agency. We'll no, come back to that. One of the gang mentions that back then it was the stuff. Vril is what the Atlanteans use to run their spaceships, but he's dismissed by one of the other guys. Ah, uh, you're goofy with that Atlantis crap. <laughs> what do you see? What do you see? The lobster enters. He tells Mr. Sachs to sober up, and he tells Bill to find out everything about this address. The lobster tells his crew that he was asking about the medallion. Turns out foreigners wearing this symbol have been seen around town for a couple weeks, coming and going from a certain warehouse downtown. It looks abandoned, but its roof door is welded shut, and under the boards are quarter-inch steel plates. Sack says that must be where Galaragas and his daughter, Helena, are being held. The lobster says they don't know what's in there, and we get a quick cutaway of Mr. Singh and his daughter. 
the lady in white. She lies down as candles burn around her. The crew have been checking out the suit, and they can't figure out how it works. But the power coming out of that thing, if the bad guys find out how to make one of those, and we see the professor being burned with hot iron, he refuses to help. And a mysterious figure says, it would be a shame to involve your beautiful daughter in this. And so this guy is obviously, you know, he's, we've seen him in the BPRD, right? So many times. <laughs> yeah, we can tell right away that that's probably who that is. Just a quick note about the art here in the past few pages. I've just really been noticing, you know, like when Lobster shows up in the room and they're like, oh, hey, we're just talking about Atlantis. Like, you know, the guy's hair, the shading in the hair here. Yeah. It's just these chunky brush strokes, but it really belies so much. Yeah. Like depth and, and, and shape. Like, it's the shape of the hair, and it's. Anyway, you can see a lot of the brush strokes, but it's very expressive. And I'm looking also at Dave Stewart's uh, coloring after we watched that um, documentary about his process and all this stuff. Yeah. So I really, I, I, uh, I'm really looking a lot closer at a lot of his stuff including the like the backgrounds where the guy is all being whatever tortured with hot iron right i'm actually focused oddly enough on the background on the smoke like you can see the brush strokes he's using in this. yeah that is really interesting when you really look at the different colors on that panel yeah those textures anyway yeah and we see him kind of do it he kind of demonstrates it a little bit on that video it's worth a it's worth a watch we're cutting back and forth between the torture scene and the lobster's hideout. Mr. Sachs puts on the Vril suit. And so when he gets the... He get, he's about to put the helmet on. Does that look familiar It sure all? does. I was going to say the whole thing kind of reminded me of the Ghost of Starburst the first time. Oh, wow. That is, that's good that you mentioned that. But what I was going to say is when Johan found all those weird files in the fourth sub-basement... There was one picture of a guy in a suit, and he they were shooting flamethrowers at him. Yeah. And it was the suit. And then there was another picture that he found of blueprints for a helmet, and it was this. It was that helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 2. Somewhere on the Lower West Side, the lobster and Mr. Sachs knock on a door and show the medallion. And so this guy slides open like a little, like a peephole or something. What is that Asper. called? Yeah, um, people. No, no. Like a like a viewfinder. And the lobster shows the medallion, and Mister Sachs just blows open the doors with the power of the suit. I do like that suit. The lobster says. <laughs> wait, wait. Let's back up. What are some What are some scenes you can remember this trope being used with the door that has the sliding face hole? Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit, okay, for you. Uh, What's the most memorable movie or whatever it was, show or comic or whatever the it is that you saw? God, I can't even think of one right now. Didn't they have one in Zoolander? I was thinking... Oh, I was thinking Constantine, but that's Constantine? not one. There's not one in Constantine. No, but it's a similar idea where yeah. he walks up to a guy and there has to be a thing. It's like you're walking up to like... It's a test, yeah. you know, to it's, get into the thing. It's like a during... Prohibition, you're trying to get into the Sure. <laughs> yeah. What are some? I'm sure there are. Uh, uh, how uh, many How many things have we seen? Oh, uh, there's so many, but like, the only thing that's coming it. to my mind right now is the <laughs> scene in Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> when Eddie's trying to um, get into the club. Right. It's the password. Yeah, password. Jim says the warehouse is empty. 
The lobster says he's wrong. It's a house full of cowards. Assassins eager to taste the justice from the lobster's claw. Nice. <laughs> and so they have a really good fight here. This is a great page. They did it in the last page, too, but the lobster goggles and the helmet, on the, the eye holes on the VES armor, they look really good together. It's true. Yeah. And the assassins, they wear the medallion. They have these Hyperborean weapons, including that double-tipped sword we saw in Hollow Earth and Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. The lobster shoots a bunch of guys, and Mr. Sachs blows everyone back with the power of the armor. And it's like emitting power or something. Sure, like, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's continuing to come out. Got some Kirby crackle on this page. Yeah, I, that was in my notes here. Oh. <laughs> More, just a little, Mr. Sachs says. And he continues to emit power so much that he starts to disintegrate the men. And it seems like he's kind of like taken over by it, right? Or he's like... Well, it's like, have you ever accidentally shocked yourself like electrocuted yourself? Um, maybe like when outlet, I was little. It grabs you. Yeah. You can't. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Maybe it's that. That's a good point. I like that. That's a good interpretation. But he's also saying more, just oh, yeah, a little. Just a little bit more. And so I'm, I, that's, that's what made me feel like maybe. I feel like he's just kind of sort of like losing control a little bit. Yeah. Maybe um, that's the electricity scene. Mm. And the lobster has to call him off. Jim, enough, he yells. Once Sack sees what he's done, he's shocked. He runs to check on the lobster. Stop! Don't, the lobster says, but it's too late. Mr. Sack steps on his booby trap switch. On a very spe- small and specific, yes. <laughs> like, Indiana <laughs> Jones size. I feel that I, I really like this whole scene because he steps on the switch and this giant mega-sized <laughs> sledgehammer comes down. It hits him, and then and, and he's all disoriented. Another trap door opens, and he falls down the like, trap door. It's like all the things that had to... shit. Is <laughs> a very specific movie trap design right for him. I mean, the room is huge. The odds of you stepping on that, anyway. Yeah, it was great. I love this beat. It is good. No, it's very funny, and it's very... Um... The expression of when it when it hits him and he's about to follow. Him, yeah, it's really funny. It, it's done very well. The motion of his body and everything. Yeah. And the lobster is confronted by this creepy guy. Doing physical humor in a comic book is not easy. It's not. Yeah. It's very well crafted. I think anyway. I think the pose the, the body poses are just really good on um, uh, Jim and the armor. I mean, think about how many different things you have to you got to have a handle on. First of all, how to draw expressively enough to get across, you know, be physical humor, which is also something that's yeah. How many people well, know is actually? And he's in the helmet, so you can't see what sure, his face exactly. looks like. You can't see that he's like disoriented. You have to just tell that's it from the body. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about like the guy who set this Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're about to meet him right now. Oh, here we go. That was, I presume, Professor Galarraga's VES suit. I'm afraid I'll be wanting that. And the professor, if you have him. I know that voice, the lobster says. Dr. Waxman! <laughs> <laughs> and very, this is a very Dick Tracy and yeah. the character. Here. And he's got this henchman guy. And he's a big guy with big pincher arms. One of them's, like, regular, and one of them's, like, super big. These giant pinchers. 
like like comically oversized. Yeah. Well, no, if you've seen ever seen crustaceans, you know. Oh yeah. Many of them will have one large nice i wonder if that's what he's called the crustacean the crustacean versus the lobster (laughs) it'll have to be some sort of terrible pun though what would it be the crustacean man oh i love that (laughs) that was too good that's what we're gonna call this guy from now on we learn that the lobster destroyed dr waxman's life's work and left him for dead the doctor removes his hat and he's got the lobster's claw burned to his head you murdered the Casaro brothers, but as you see, I found new patrons for my art. Oh! Waxman says, and he reveals a swastika oh, on his hand. Nazi. Jim in the VES suit finds himself in this weird space. There's snow and these rune-covered stones. Okay, this is super cool, and this is the part of the story where I kind of sat up. Yeah, and was like, oh, something for me. Because you're just reading. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, well, you're reading. We've been reading all this Hellboy no, stuff yeah. and BPRD stuff. And then you're reading this, and it's just kind of this, like you said, pulp story, and then boom, we just hit all this, like, and really... That's, that's not to say that I'm not enjoying, you know, the this story or whatever, but I, obviously, I kind of gravitate towards yeah. shit like this, where of I'm course. just in a weird yeah. snowscape with all the stars, or yeah. visible, and there's, like, weird, these um, rocks are kind of jutting out, and they have all this uh, very psychedelic you know, have been ins- right. runes or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's all, but it's almost like a pattern too. And it's yeah. very, and he's looking around, and then he sees this almost this ghostly figure of this woman, and it's I, all of a sudden I'm paying very close attention to what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> and so Jim looks around and he sees Helena, who's Galaragos's daughter. He asks her, "What is this place? His frozen grave, the emperor of the world?" She says, "The stones are ruined from some kind of temple." But do not despair. He will rise again. What are you talking about, Sax says. Where is your father? He is my father, Helena says. And we see a man in the shadows, sitting in front of a fire. It's true, Mr. Sax. Come closer, he says. While this is going on, the lobster fights the pincher guy. I just want to say that the panel up top on this page, with mm-hmm. all the stars and the, the, yeah. the, the ruins and everything, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, it really is. It's really breathtaking. And um, what's that fucking guy's name from Batman? He's like a immortal guy. Yeah. Okay, so you both said the different thing. <laughs> First of all, do you, is it Roz to you and Raish to you? Is that what's happened right now? Uh, what did I say? I said Roz. Yeah. Race. Shit, I don't know. Sometimes I just say one way. Yeah. I, 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 I just think of the Batman the Animated Series because didn't he say Roz? He Al-Ghul? said Roz Al Ghul, but yeah. some people say Rachel Al Ghul. Yeah, so, anyway, I think that's what they said in the movie. What I'm saying is this a is this a Roz Al Ghul situation? She's this like. Oh okay. He's like super ancient mummy man. Like, right. He's well, we actually have a mummy in the cast. I shouldn't say that. He's a super ancient. Yeah, I don't know. Weird ghost man. But but, so does he have like a what was her name? Talia. Talia. But she's not really his daughter. Yeah, what's happening? So I don't really. Yeah, I don't really get that. I guess give us a hey, you damn guys about that. Yeah, give us a hey, you damn guys. Is it is it her father in the sense that she was reborn somehow? Oh yeah. Within some sort of weird cult or something. I'm trying to figure out what is her deal. I guess we'll we'll, we might. I guess we'll find out. John already knows. It's just. No, I actually don't. <laughs> I just think it is a... He's uh, my father, like the new world, he's going to make a new world. You know how people talk when they get into yeah. this old culty shit? Um, that's how I took it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I feel you. Yeah. 
You and, shall remake everything weirdest way. Right. Anyway. So while we're having this scene with Jim and this guy who looks like Guilford. So you don't want to say that it is him definitively. You say that it looks like him at this point in the story. Well, I mean... It's him, right? We can, <laughs> we can, we we can pretty much say that. Which it's is him. very, it's like a the alleged yeah. guy, right? Like, well, is it him or we're well, we're gonna see something in a okay. little bit, actually. But as the lobster's fighting this guy, he like burns the crustacean man. The crustacean man, he burns uh, his lobster claw into his face. Over with Jim, the man in the shadows asks him to remove his helmet, and Sax does. Ah, thank you, the man says. And Mr. Smoke come out of his eyes, and it knocks out Jim. The lobster continues to fight the pincher guy, and it's like cutting back and forth between them throughout this. Now, one thing I will say about that is it's also, I think the whole entire story is meant to strike that tone. Right. Of, you know, like, Batman fights the man back. Yeah. Or whatever the shit. Mr. Sax is taken away by some large men, and we reveal Guilford was behind a dummy of himself. And that's what the mist came out of. So it wasn't him. You were saying, I don't want to say that it's him, because it wasn't. It was yeah. A, it was a dummy. It was a thing. guy. Yeah. No, what? It was a dummy. It was a guy, though. Okay, so wait. So which one's the dummy? <laughs> <laughs> Guilford says to leave him. He has matters to attend to. And he lets, like, all these snakes down his arm. Remember how we saw in the Black Flame, like, those snakes would move and then they would point to stuff, and here we kind of see them all come down his arm. (laughs) And he has these long gold finger talons, similar to what we saw in the Black Flame. Dr. Waxman calls for Victor, that's the pincher, that's the crustacean man, (laughs) Victor the crustacean man, to tear out the lobster's heart. Monster, the lobster says, and he picks up a sword from one of those dead assassins, and it's one of those, it's the double-tipped one, and he jams it into Victor's arm, causing it to malfunction and blow up. Apparently the sword still has a skeleton dangling from it. Oh yeah, that's great. Oh, you're totally right, I love that. Over with Guilford, he's got like this heat lamp, or whatever, in the notes, uh, they called it a grow lamp. Hmm. And he's shining it on the snakes. Oh, yeah, the snakes need that. Uh, need that, that grow lamp. This artist has chosen to represent his hand as being giant weird claws. Yeah. So. Oh, I just thought he was doing gloves. In the sketchbook, there's some really cool stuff where Mignola draws mm-hmm. this character. And he says in the notes that he wants the hands to resemble talons. Yeah, talons. Yeah. The lobster, having taken out the crustacean man, tells Waxman, the only thing you're going to see, Doctor, is the burning hand of overdue justice. <laughs> but the right. doctor says he has information. He starts, to tell the, he starts to tell the lobster about a giant Nazi submarine. But suddenly, giant snakes come up through the floor, eating Waxman. And the lobster pulls a grenade on the snakes. When that happens, he's about to get information, and the giant snake just eats him from the beginning the floor. Yeah, <laughs> and I love this panel with the snakes and the goggles or whatever in both oh, eyes. Yeah. That's oh, just yeah. really that's just like classic. The lobster pulls a grenade on the snakes. No, Guilford says, I have no quarrel with you. You crossed me this one time, but I would have you survive it. Go back to your war against the gangsters and spies. 
so long as you do not interfere with my business, so long as you never raise a hand against me. And while he's saying all this, we get some nice sepia tone flashbacks with the lobster fighting all these cool enemies. Did you look at these? There's like an there's like an Egyptian yeah an Egyptian one and um, this oddly enough this this struck me as very Venture Brothers ah because there's these various situations or I don't know it they did montages so well the the whole music thing that they put together yeah really, uh, it does have a if you watch Venture Brothers, Brothers I love this uh, yeah that's um that car in that first panel is very reminiscent of the Batmobile yeah the nineteen 30s, 40 cereal. Where it had that thing in the yeah. front, right? The big head. Good catch. It does look like it. The lobster drops the grenade, igniting all these jugs. So I looked I, I looked for this symbol. I, I can only assume that it means like that this stuff is dangerous or flammable mm-hmm. or I actually found this website where you can draw the character with the mouse. Yeah. And it'll try and tell you, but I still couldn't find and so, yeah, tell me if you know what this sign is. It's on the jugs, but I assume it means that... Some sort of incendiary. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything blows up. So there's just this giant explosion that destroys the whole building, just bringing it to rubble. I thought it was Gilbert was going through this whole monologue, and then like right when he's done, that's when you see Lobster go... Yeah. Right. That's, that that that's when he drops yeah, the grenade. Thing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really just, good. It's, and the, it's like a big fucking yeah. Yeah, and it's nice, really nice pacing in that scene with the snake and everything. It's a really good looking page. I'll never understand how artists have the patience to draw exploding scenes. Right, yeah. Fire, like that's just such a specific skill. (laughs) Drawing the building exploding into a giant fireball is uh, such a specific skill. Right, yeah. It seems like it would be hard. Yeah. Bra boom! (laughs) Two henchmen come looking for Dr. Waxman. Save your breath, one says. No way anybody could have lived through that. And one of the henchmen is attacked in the smoke. He <laughs> falls down with a lobster claw burned into his head. Super good. And we get this true story of Lobster Johnson. I love these um, these little things. Did you guys read these? They were awesome. Yeah, these are really good. And the art is done by Guy Davis. Uh, so one quick little weird detail so there's this print. I don't know if you've seen it. I'll post it online. There's this weird print that I like of Hellboy, and I have it. And there is this little Mignola character in the corner that I really like, and he's got a scorpion painted on his face. Yeah, no, you and yeah. And I even told Kevin Alfred over at Mignolaverse. Go, I remember go you check them out. This, yeah. um, I told Kevin Alfred that he's one of my favorite little. He just looks so cool. I would love to see yeah. him in something. And then here he is. I never noticed this. This is a Guy Davis version of him. Oh. That's that scorpion guy that the lobster is fighting awesome. here. Yeah, but so there's this uh, True Story of Lobster Johnson article. And basically it talks about the real Lobster Johnson. You know, there were rumors of a real Lobster Johnson. And then it got turned into some novels by a police detective, Norvell Cooper. Um, and so he wrote all these pulp novels about Lobster Johnson. I love all the titles in, in this. It's worth a read. It's really good. And so this guy, Norvell Cooper, he wrote all these Lobster Johnson stories. And at the time of his death, Cooper's wallet contained $4 and a very crumpled Lobster Johnson calling card, <laughs> which sold at public auction for $17. So the, the crumpled calling card was worth more than what he even had in his wallet. I just wow. love that. 
Anyway, uh, it's really good. I love all this stuff, and I love this. I love seeing this guy Davis artwork. Yeah, I, I, when I turned the page and I saw this, I was uh, excited because it kind of reminded me um, of Watchmen. Oh yeah, that's right. It goes more into the uh, universe, into the world. Yeah, and, and we knew that there was a comic because Hellboy used to read Rob Johnson. Yeah, so that's it's right. Nice to see like how this character was turned into a comic book character. Yeah, yeah super cool. Tencent, weird detective. It's good costume. stuff. He's weird. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a cape and everything. Yeah, it's, it's very Batman esque. <laughs> and so, yeah, in the sketchbook, it's worth checking out. There's the guy Davis planning out the different versions of the lobster that he was going to use for the backup stories. Was it based off of old like Batman stuff when he was designing it? I think, yeah, probably. Cool. Yeah, probably. I know Mignola's been a a fan of a lot of pulp heroes like the spider and yeah. stuff like that so i think maybe they looked at that for inspiration well that's another one of them kind of reminded me of the phantom yeah yeah is that the one so what where he has the ring and he punches you and you get the face oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the one oh i'm thinking about the shadow who knows what something yeah in the hearts of men Love that one. chapter three in hoboken new jersey Jim wakes up in an old warehouse. It's nice that Mignola still does the covers for us. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he wrote this. I think he's always wanted to do a pulp thing. Yeah. And so, I think it's just, I think it's cool. That he does yeah. That. It's nice. I'm sure he's very busy. These covers are awesome, too. Jim, he follows the voice of the professor. And so he follows it. And he's a brain. <laughs> he's just a brain. Somewhere under New York City... The lobster is patched up by his crew. They learn that some company out of Bangkok bought the building called the New Century Trading Company. Sounds fake. Yeah. (laughs) The same company bought a building in Hoboken around the same time. What do you want to do, boss? (laughs) One of the guys asks him, and the lobster just stares off. Over with Jim, the brain of Professor Galarraga says he was tortured when he wouldn't give them what they wanted. He's wired to a machine, and they're trying to drag the information out of his mind. Jim realizes that he's walked into a trap. The professor's brain says he doesn't care about the suit, just the means to harness the vril, and he has that already. And so we see that they're building their own, like, Superman or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a weird, it's got sigils all over him and, like, a weird thing. He's got, like, these gauntlets, yeah. too, on his on his arm. And we see kind of Guilford's crew. He's got, like, a scientist guy. And then he's got, like, kind of like a... Wizard guy. Wizard guy with the medallion. You need and both. You need the science guy and the wizard guy. That's, yeah. that's how you make it work. Yeah. And so the important piece, the, the important piece that we're going to learn is this um, fork that's on the back. There's this kind of little tuning fork-looking thing sticking out of the back. It looks like the guy um, on the moon, the king of the moon guy. Oh, Black Bolt. Yeah, Black Bolt. What? Uh, oh, let me say that what Black Dallas too. Yeah, but uh, he's got the thing on his head. Yeah, he does. Yeah. It's teamwork makes the dream work, John. You need you need both of those guys. <laughs> And we <laughs> let's let's make the dream happen. And we see that off the back of Mr. Sack's suit is missing that fork. A numb's fork. Named after one of the gods watcher angels, the first rebel, who dared to reach into the sky and steal a handful of God's own power. Flama Recondidus, Vril. A numb was destroyed, 
but the secret of how to harness the Vril was passed down to the first men, the Hyperboreans. That power made it Hyperborea a paradise. So you're reading this pulp novel. Did you yeah, think that it was going to come back? Again, <laughs> again, this is where I sat up straight and paid extra special yeah, attention and was very It all comes it. around to all this stuff. Yes, I and mean, I, I think that's so effective, like having this, like you said, this very like, oh, it's a pulp comic where it's a detective. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, all of this lore, <laughs> I get so excited. And so to see something from... My absolute favorite story yeah. so far in the whole Mignolaverse. We see, yeah. Be kind of recreated here. Uh, this artist gets to draw Armstrong. It. So lucky. Thank yeah. you for saying his name. I'm sorry. I'm so super forgetful. Yeah, so we see Jason Armstrong. He does a really awesome version of... Yeah, it's super um, good. Anum, I guess, is this guy's name. I never knew that. So Anum is pulling the fire out of the sky. And we also see his version of the statue that we saw on the island that had the right hand on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jason Armstrong. Armstrong, you're super good, and I like that this is here now. The depiction of the electric guy is yeah, it's great. Interesting. That power made Hyperborea a paradise until its people were corrupted by the black goddess Neb Ogaroth. Hyperborea froze. Its outposts, Atlantis, Leto, and all the others were lost. A few Hyperborean priests survived, wandering the Earth, watching the slow evolution of humans from beasts to the new race of men. Eventually, they chose a few of these men and taught them how to summon and control the Vril. It's this guy with the and we see Shan Shen, yeah. right? And so, he's got the okay, in his hand. so think about the implication. And he's got yeah, that that stone idol or whatever, that he's metal idol, and that's the the left hand. Yeah, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the left hand path. The left hand path on his face. And then, so think about that because when we were reading the Black Flame and Liz destroyed that giant monster, she was harnessing the Vril. Ugh, I love it. That's what was happening. And that's what we were talking about earlier how, about the Omega shit. Yep. <laughs> you yep. all were just talking about that. And yeah. So that's a whole nother level of effort, man. Yeah, all that's this is really, thing. all this is yeah. coming back. So, I love so, it. So you. You made a good point, but like, uh, something the power of fucking creation is like, that's as far as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like. That's intense. it. I said like too much just then, but it is intense. <laughs> <laughs> These men, fearful of the power falling into evil hands, took its secrets to their graves. All my life, I've dreamed of rediscovering that secret, like Prometheus, who stole fire from the sun. I wanted to give Vril to the world to make it a paradise again. This is a Prometheus thing. It's a Prometheus thing. And now to have him steal it, for that power to fall into his hands. And Jim is like, who is he? The devil. The devil. And Jim's like, there's got to be something we can, but he tells him to be quiet. They'll hear you. But that's the thing about power, though, is that it's it's just there. And what you choose to do with it is the whole point. Right? I mean, that's the whole point. So, I think stories that hinge on that, are, that's what interests me for sure. That's what kind of brings this whole story into the Mandaloverse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We cut to the assassins being awoken by a panging sound. They approach one of the walls, and it blows open. The lobster behind it, wearing a gas mask, and he just... <laughs> Um, he looks awesome with that. We have to get you out of here, Jim says to the brain, and we hear a shot. The brain's been shot. Oh, no. 
Hello, Mr. Sachs. I am quite surprised to see you. Up and around, Guilford says. And so he shot Professor Galarraga's brain. The lobster shoots all the assassins with a machine gun. And he burns his emblem into their foreheads. So, like, how long does this take? Like, if there's, like, <laughs> ten guys, like, is he like, okay. I mean, how long? he's got it built into the... Oh, he's got like a probably, but like yeah. A, like I think of it, I think of it as like a car cigarette lighter, right? That just kind of like a curling iron. It's just constantly. How does he do his it? His hand must be so sweaty all the time. <laughs> it's got to be a thing like the car cigarette lighter, where when you push it down, it activates mm. and it's super hot real quick, and but then it, it's like a yeah, it just goes around. I wonder what the first incarnation of that looked like because he had to develop it. Right, he had to go. This is probably like the ninth version of it. At this point. <laughs> oh it yeah, works really well. But you think about it, like the first version of something is not going to work well. It was like it's too detailed. It just looks like a U. Yeah, you got to think about like the different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to think about the different, uh, you know, the different models and and, and 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 prototypes. You have to go through like the Spider-Man suit and the web shooters. He had to do some serious. I mean, he's got probably version 20.6.1. Do you think he was like the Mythbusters and got himself like a pig analog? He was like trying in different ways. Oh, yeah. That would have been the smart way to do it. The beta's on those. Over with Jim. You are the devil, he tells Guilford, who says, I assure you, Mr. Sachs, if either of us has claim to demonic powers, it's you. You're dead, Mr. Sachs. And yet, you live. The gas was poison. You are dead, Guilford says. I would never have allowed you into my house otherwise. And behind Guilford is this large man. It's the, it's their kind of, uh, he calls him his slave. It's a very sixth sense moment. Over with the lobster, he comes across a grow house. What is this little place? Yeah, it looks like a, a grow house. It's like a, a very large little greenhouse. And we see plants and it looks like some of the plants are burning, like the ones that are on these plates. Are they burning, or where is that smoke coming from? Are they burning, or is that supposed to be, like, the plants are giving off some sort of a... Vapor? Yeah, is it maybe, like, he's trying to illustrate that the plants have some sort of intoxicating effect on okay. the surrounding... I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how you would interpret that. And we see these, also, these orbs. They have scorpions inside of them. They're, nice, like, glass nice. balls with little scorpions don't inside. Don't forget the scorpion orbs. Yeah. Scorpio orbs. <laughs> this guy has Helena chained up, and he tells her all the ways that he's going to torture her. Gross. And Super he gross. notices the lobster, who shoots him immediately. I like that. Yeah, as soon I mean, as he notices, he's like, bam, he's dead. Yeah. And suddenly this giant dude comes out from behind at the lobster. At the same time, Guilford calls his slave, powered by Anum's fork, at Jim. And we get some really good action beats as both of these fights go on. So both of these are kind of happening at the same time. And it does have that kind of pulpy feel, like you were saying, yeah. like the Batman serials and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Eventually, uh, Helena distracts that giant guy and the scorpion stings him. Well, she does the lady spy thing <laughs> that all lady spies are required to do at least once in any comic book or movie. Where yeah. They wrap their legs around a guy's neck. <laughs> <laughs> And so when the scorpion stings this guy, his arm just starts blowing up, swelling up really big, and then he just starts, like, melting or something. Amazing. There it is. Justice, the lobster <laughs> says. Some, some quality scorpion orbs. 
Now go put your claw on his head. It is, it is justice, though. He's all melted. Yeah. yeah. Super good. Jim continues to get beaten by Guilford's Vril Slave. And I like this shot at the bottom with the skeleton of that guy when his arm got really big. And it's just like, yeah. just just a really cool, weird shot. No, it is super. I, I like that you brought that up because that is... How it's painful ca- would that be? Like, it's not just the skin and the meat and the muscle. It's right. the bone itself. The bone was, yeah. How fucked up. Only one person has ever experienced that, and it's this guy. Yeah. Like, you can tell. <laughs> like, that's fucking weird. And Guilford is over with his science crew, and they're watching all this. The wizard guy, he's got the medallion. Guilford says, The goddess promised me that one day Anum's power would serve him. The power is transforming the man, as foretold by the twin serpents, the wizard guy says. He will raise the old cities and make them new again, and tame fire to breed dragons. Maybe this guy is more of like a bobcat gold weight. (laughs) (laughs) And they all say the prophecy. And we see that this guy has turned into this like dragon man, and Jim's totally dead. His like head is like on fire or whatever. We get another true story of Lobster Johnson. This time we have the next version of the hero. And so this was in the four, in the 1940s, and so they have Lobster Johnson fighting Hitler and all this stuff. And it well, he's says... He's like a demon Hitler. Yeah. yeah. And we see this... Um, the bulk of Lobster Johnson comic books were by Adam Horowitz, writer, and Isaac Janky Rosen, artist. So this picture of Adam Horowitz and Isaac Janky Rosen that Guy Davis drew is, I think it's like a replica of a picture of yeah. Siegel and Schuster, the creators of Superman. It's a very uh, recognizable kind of a thing. Yeah, I want to say that there's a picture of them that looks almost exactly like that. Or at least it's, yeah, yep. Wow. You have to put that on the social medias. On the social medias. And also, Loki uh, and... Interpretations of the costumes here again. Yeah, they have their oh, versions yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. They ignored the pulp comic book and created this other version of the lobster where he went to Africa and fought a mad scientist. So it went from like this pulpy <laughs> thing to like this, you know, crazy right. out there thing. And yes. Norvell Cooper, the guy that created the lobster, claims to have never seen either film. Huh. One of the creators, Isaac Janky Rosen, ended up hanging himself in a motel room. They talk about that too. That's dark. You're gonna give some Vic Williams as the lobster. Fake tax <laughs> and he is, in fact, punching the demon Hitler in the face, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Classic. Chapter four. We get another great Mignola cover here. I was about to say. I was about to say. I don't want to skip over that. At the warehouse, the lobster's men call for him. The lobster and Helena discover her dad's body, Sans Brain. I have a problem with this scene, and it is her reaction. If you saw your father with part of his head... I mean, I don't know what your relationship to your right. father is, dear listener. Uh, I imagine that some, some of those relationships are probably strained, or maybe even you just don't care, you've never met the guy, that's fine. She had what seemed like a relationship with her father, right? right? He, he was maybe part of her daily life in a positive way. She had an affinity towards him. Yes, no? Sure. Okay. Discovered him with the top of his head missing <laughs> and his uh, fucking brain gone. 
and she seems very nonplussed by it. Is not freaked out at all. Well, she's crying. Yeah, it's she's crying. Very matter of fact about it though. Uh, they took out his brain. Who could do a thing like that? I mean, could you form language at that point, or would you just be like uh uh and like right. leave the room, right? Well, she like, might have uh, already fucking. Well, she might have already known that he was being tortured. I okay. mean, he, you know, he was right. being burned and all that stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, and then that guy when he was It's gonna, not a critique. I'm not trying to like, yeah. you know, I'm just, I, I, I feel like maybe she's a very str- uh, strong-willed. Right. Uh, very logical person. That could, she seemed to be able to keep her cool. She kept her head in that situation where she was all, right. you know, a uh, prisoner. She was fighting back and that's, you know, maybe she's just a very... Well, Who knows, when she might turn out to be a like a army operative, I don't know. Well, when that guy was going to torture her and he was going on and on about sure. how he was going to do it, he was saying like just like we did to your dad. Right. So she might have already maybe yeah. she already cried about it and or she could I don't very know. Well have Is some it? sort of training, maybe she was a It could also be that you know she's been all through this right now, she's just trying to keep it together. Yeah, the get, shock. You know, get home and then she'll use it. I guess I'm sort of trying to superimpose my what my potential reaction sure. is seeing anyone <clears throat> that I know. Excuse Not me. even have to be related, just a friend. Like if I saw somebody was part of their, even a stranger, total stranger, yeah, total stranger, top of their head missing brain gone. Uh, uh, right. The only thing I could probably muster. <laughs> we have no language for that, but I'm sheltered right. compared to her. Possibly, she's probably seen some shit. Probably you know, see like people without brains What's, all over. Yeah. The What's her story? <laughs> Apparently they're cannibals. Apparently, so. apparently there's cannibals. <laughs> she may. She's just used to it. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Who could do this? She says, "Whoever he is, you'll make him pay for this. You will." Helena says, "I will." Says the lobster. Around back, the lobster meets up with his men, and he tosses Helena out the window down to the men. He tells them to take care of her and heads back inside. <laughs> she. She's not impressed with that. No, she doesn't like that. <laughs> I like that this flies in the face of the trope that every, like, if, if you've got a main character guy, and then you've got this, like, girl who he's trying to help her out and save her. Right. They immediately have to be, they have to have some sort of, like, attraction or whatever shit. He just fucking throws her out of the <laughs> thing. He's like, yeah, take care of her. Make sure that she is fine. Right. And she's just kind of... They're like, all right, we got her. That's yeah. Scary. He just fucking runs off. He's there. We're Nazis to fight. Kind of <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. I just, I like that that was their, I like these guys. Yeah. yeah. They're great. Yeah. Anyway, He's got a good little crew there. Wizard. Prophecy. Declaring dragons. Back with Guilford and the dragon guy. The dragon tosses Mr. Sack's body through the floor. And we learn that the prophecy declared that the first herald of his glory would be a dragon. Guilford tells the doctor to make him 369. That will be the number of my army, he says. And all other armies of the world will scatter before it or be destroyed. And so, remember, we learned in the island, we learned in the island that the Ogdruja had created 369 Ogdruhan. So this guy sucks. Definitively, we've we've learned that this guy sucks. Every time he shows up, he just gets more. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> at first, I, I was it was unclear to me somehow. I guess I missed some things down the line. And I was like, well, this guy's this guy seems annoying at best. But yeah, I guess he's a yeah. he's a fucker. 
And Armstrong does a good job of drawing this dragon guy with the fork and the crackle. I really like these yeah. panels right here That's with the dragons. I like this version of a dragon, too. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? The way that they make it look. It's not um, what you typically think of. No, it's super good. Yeah. Yeah. Very original design. I mean, he definitely has his own definitive style. Yeah. But perhaps some certain shapes have been inspired by... Oh yeah, no, it definitely has that style. This is definitely a Mignola-designed creature, I think. And we get a really good shot of that. And I like this panel down here yeah. of Mr. Sack's body with all the smoke coming off of it. It's just a really cool shot. But it's his, and any artist is going to have their own eye, like their own... Right. I do from this angle, and I do this kind of... The movement is happening like this, and right. it's a very... The way that you compose the page and everything and so yeah i think that there are definitely a lot of different inspirations but it's clearly right. his own style and that translates by any means getting back to guilford i think that uh i keep saying guilford but he's memnon saw so we kind of learned that when we read Witchfinder in the service of angels i was like in the 1800s mm -hmm. and he was alive then yeah and so here i think he's kind of become something else sure he's not Maybe, I mean, Guilford anymore. He's this Memnon Saw. I'm still going to call him Guilford. <laughs> and he says, All the upstart nations will topple and burn, and out of the cold shadows of the dust of centuries, the first empire will rise again. Ugh. Hyperbera, and all who survive will gather under my banner, or they will die. So he's a Rasputin guy, like Aubrey was saying. Well, and, well I think he wants to recreate Hyperborea. Yeah. He wants to recreate the golden city, the paradise of the first men. And he thinks he's going to do that by getting the 369 dragons, dragons yeah. yeah. to do something. Come on, man. To topple all the nations of the earth. And suddenly we get this weirdly cool scene where you got the spirit of Jim Sachs and you have the spirit of Professor Galaragas and they're talking to each other. Pretty good. And Galaragas tells Sachs that the fork was just a tool. The real power is in you now. You are a newly evolved super being, Jim. The power in evil hands can only produce evil. But you are a good man, Jim. Look, there is your new world. The universe with all her mysteries stripped away. And so Jim just looks into this void yeah, of, awesome. you know, I mean, how do you describe this? It's just like he's looking into the universe. It's really well yeah. rendered. It's, um, it's done in a way where you realize that it's kind of this other plane of existence that he's on. Sometimes I wonder, you know how when astronauts go on like a space Right. And there have been, there have been, I'm not saying that this is typical, or, or even representative. Obviously, there's professionals uh, who do their job, and it's very hard to them to do a good job. But um, sometimes, on occasion, every once in a while, there will be an astronaut that will not want to return to them. This is very rare, but it has happened where they're just like trying to stay out there. Because it's kind of like oh right they, they don't and they're like trying to talk them back in like hey man we're gonna have to come get you like you have to come right, back right. to the, the the thing 
I think they have to have special training on that, yeah, because <laughs> it's like it's such a thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's you. You're so overwhelmed, like you don't want to return to the. I guess it's the shuttle or the space station. Or right. Working when on. you go out there. Yeah, and so like very rarely, but sometimes you have to either like talk someone back in, or you have to go get them, or whatever it is, and it's kind of this right. thing that just overtakes you. And yeah. Like, every once in a while, I I revisit that thought of what would that be like to have just nothing but stars. You're right. out in space, just you. Right. You're not even on the moon or whatever. You're like just floating in space. out there. Yeah. To have a 360 to stars and planets and shit. You know, I wouldn't go back in. Yeah, that's right. Fucking, <laughs> holy shit, just to be suspended out there. So, like, this, that's what that reminded me of is whenever I yeah. want to make myself feel weird, I think about that. <laughs> and so, like, he's done such a good job of, of actually rendering that. And it was just really, yeah. I love looking at this page. Yeah, it's great. Uh, they do a really good job, Jason Armstrong and Dave Stewart. And then the like the fucking light shooting out of his eyes and mouth, and then all the crackly, weird lightning energy surround, like yeah. traveling across the body. Like, like we're talking about how this this looks like an it's animated, like an animation. Right. Like that yeah. Specifically. I can, yeah. I can see that moving. Like it's. Galarraga says, I am a ghost, Jim. I am bound to this world, but not you. You're free. I hear it calling me, Jim says. You're part of it now, Galarraga says. Go on. Thank you, Professor, Jim says. There's just one thing I need to do first. I'm a ghost, Jim. And what did you say? I'm a ghost, Jim. I'm a ghost, Jim. (laughs) And we see Jim Sachs, his body comes up. And it's just bursting with all this energy, like lightning is coming off of it and everything towards the dragon. Super cool. It's a really great shot. It's all the frail powers shooting out. With the lobster, he finds a dead assassin and a Nazi. I guess these two were fighting each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that what happened? (laughs) That's pretty good. And then he's like burning his... He's like, well, I'm going to take credit (laughs) for this one because it's a Nazi. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jim is imbued with the frail power... And he directs the energy at the dragon. The power is so much that it blinds Guilford and the team. And with the lobster, we're seeing how the energy is just overtaking everything. It's popping all the light bulbs and lightning starting to shoot all over there. These are some really awesome panels as this is all happening, too. It kind of reminded me of the Black Flame a little bit, too. The his How he's got the skull and all the fire and everything. He's like the White Flame. Right, <laughs> yeah. I guess you could say that. Or... Hmm. Slightly very faded pink flame. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. The light, the light flame. The light flame. The lobster's crew see the energy shooting out from outside. Inside we see pretty much everyone is fried. All the machines, the crew, and the dragon. And we get this really cool shot. It shows like the Jim's armor is all flaming too. And then this one little panel of that space void thing. You know what I mean? I just, those two yeah. panels at the top are kind of like, yeah. he, 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 he was there and now he's yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Memnon saw the lobster says, whoever you are, whatever you are, time to face the harsher justice of the lobster's claw. And Memnon saw tries to run off. The lobster shoots at him and he follows a trail of blood out the door and is confronted from the darkness by a werewolf. 
Uh, <laughs> right, because in the um, yeah, in the yeah. Universal Machine, they said that this was considered a werewolf at the no, t- you know shit. during some during some times, and so that's what that made me think uh-huh. of there. But it's like a giant mandrill, and it attacks a lobster. So oh, he, a weird mandrill. A weird mandrill, and he sends him down this hatch into some water, and the lobster's men call after him. And are about to go after him when they notice this guy walking up, right? So this is the guy from the it's first the issue. Were-yeti. Oh shit! The Were Yeti, yeah, <laughs> he comes back, and the, and Helena's like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> and um, so the lobster's crew is going after that, and at the same time, the lobster is trying to drown this mandrill holding it underwater. The lobster's crew shoot the Were Yeti, and he turns back into a little guy and hits the ground. <laughs> I love the dialogue on his crew. Yeah. Well, he was spooky, but not too tough. Yeah. <laughs> what do you see? What do you say? And as the lobster is drowning the mandrill, he looks up and he sees these two men are watching him. And then a butt of a gun knocks him out. We learn on the next page that they're Nazis. <sighs> and they're with these uniform guys that are also Nazis. So they're all like, I guess the uniform guys are like uh, the over these gangster guys. Yeah. But they actually look like they're real Nazi soldiers. Because, I mean, this is going on. Right, yeah. yeah. Like they're wearing the, the, all yeah. this stuff. So they're, yeah, Nazi soldiers and Nazi gangsters. Well, the Nazi soldiers should never appear to be gangsters. I feel like that's not a very... Are they trying to be... Like, why do they have it in the palm of their hand? <laughs> maybe, that's... maybe they're taking a cue from the lobster. They go around and, like, do my I don't know. Lobster's, like, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like, if you were going to put, I don't know, I don't know. Also kind of reminds me of that uh, scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when the home dude comes up with the amulet burning to his hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, he's like, look at my head. <laughs> and we get another true history of Lobster Johnson. This time, the pulp hero was recreated as a... Luchador. Yeah, Mexican horror films, and he has, like, a luchador costume. And so they had these Lobster Johnson versus Black Magic and all these other ones where it's usually started the same way. A large black car, usually driven by a woman in a black dress and veil, pulls into an unnamed town. And in the backseat is an old man or sometimes a mummy-like corpse. As the sun sets, the old man or corpse magically transforms into the mass crime fighter, who then usually battles aliens or Satan. That's great. (laughs) And we get some more Guy Davis, uh, really good artwork of this version of the lobster. I was going to say, aliens are saying it in one instant, he fought both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it says here, I really like this, it says, a big budget remake of Lobster Johnson and the Ring of Death by acclaimed yes. Mexican director Guillermo del Toro has long been rumored. But so far, there is no official word on such a project. That's great. That would be so awesome. That was, that was great. Chapter 5, and this is one of my favorite Mignola covers of all time. That is I really love yeah. this uh, this uh, Lobster Johnson cover. It's a powerhouse of a, of a cover. At the warehouse in Hoboken, the lobster's men check out the warehouse. Everyone's dead. The men call for the lobster. And he wakes up. He sees Memnon Sa and tries to go after him. And finds himself in that weird other place where Jim was. Anung eth met Hyperborea. You see a scattering of her bones, because you are standing on the roof of her tomb. Here was the first and greatest empire of man. Here was the power that ruled the world for a hundred thousand years. 
gone now, crushed and frozen under the weight of centuries, buried with all her treasures, but she will rise again. And we see the Black Goddess statue that we've seen a bunch of times throughout the series. Again, that top um, half of the page is stunning. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's this like gold dragon that we yeah. see up there too, right? That wasn't there the first time. All the different various tones that um, Dave Stewart shows as well. Yeah, I was going to mention the dragon. It's just like the monster showed up. It's party time. Over here. Yeah. <laughs> Get the blue and dragon in the sky. Yeah. Memnon Sa says, I will raise her from the dead. I have the lives of a cat and the patience of a serpent. The lobster says, You'll pay. I will not, Memnon Sa says. I will slide out of the world again, make my plans and return. Oh yes, and eventually I will look down on all the humbled nations of the earth from my Hyperborean throne. And you, what did I tell you? Never dare to raise a hand against me. Never. You are damned. And he burns that twin serpent symbol into the lobster Johnson's chest. So he says, from this day to the end of your days, you are bound to serve me. And while this is happening in the real world, the Nazi gangsters are holding the lobster, and he's but he's reacting like he's being burned yeah, he's at that same time. Out. And he punches the guys, but then one of them knocks him out again. The Nazi guys and the gangster guys talk, and they reveal that they were unable to recover the VES prototype or Alum's fork. Everything was destroyed in the explosion, except for this. And one of them revealed that they have the VES helmet. The uniformed guys, they seem displeased. Is this all? And the gangster guys are like, I wouldn't say all. We got you the lobster. And then those Nazis are like, we don't know who he is. We don't know who that guy is. I just think it's funny that they've never, they're like, I don't know who that is. Right. They're so unimpressed. (laughs) He's some dude in a jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. With some weird goggles on. (laughs) The uniformed guys, they tell the gangsters not to go back to New York. Go somewhere else and await further instructions. And the uniformed Nazis talk, and they say that that bringing the Fuhrer back, just the VES helmet, would be a death sentence. So they will not go back. And they talk about that they're going to start the beginning of the war. The gangsters talk about calling their moms, and we see the lobster rising behind them. Blam, blam, we hear from inside the tunnel. The Nazis intend to use their submarine to start a war in New York. And the lobster dives after the sub. And the sub-Nazis call for battle stations, and they prepare their missiles. I like this, how they hear a noise, and they, he's immediately like, the lobster. Right, because they know it has to be him. They call for Carl, this large guy, to take care of him. There is enough explosives on board Leviathan to entirely destroy Manhattan Island. I am in a hurry to see it done. And so Carl goes out and with a knife, and I just love all this. This is like pure, just pulp awesomeness. Or James like, Bond, like who yeah. has an underwater knife fight? Exactly, and then oh, like this this one uh, panel where the guy of the Nazi comes up with a knife and a little exclamation point. Yeah, as he um, turns around, yeah. The sound effect from um, Metal Gear Solid went off in my head, like the exclamation that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The sub is ready to fire, and the captain says, As soon as we're on board, we'll show them what men can do. No, captain, a voice says, not today. And we see Memnon Sa's eyes. And so as we see this, the lobster, his jacket is ripped open, and he's got the medallion there. 
right? So when yeah. he burned him, did he put that there? Or did he already... Or that's the one that he had from earlier, I guess. And so this one that the lobster has around its neck, it's got like a dial on the back, and it's counting down. Like a kitchen egg timer. Yeah. <laughs> and so this like little submarine is going into this Leviathan submarine, and right before it goes in there, the lobster ties the medallion as it's ticking down onto the smaller submarine. So, but like, Memnon size controlling that right because he and he even told the lobster like i'm in you know i'm everything that you do you know i'm controlling you or whatever yeah you know i i think about this because like he also helped liz defeat Cothahem, right and then here he's kind of helping the lobster to get these nazis right maybe but he's still going about it in a very selfish dicky way he wants to be the king of the ship and so right. he doesn't want the Nazis to be king of the shit. Right. Because he wants to do that. Yeah. So he's taking out the competition, man. Right. But he's also kind of helping the hero. Yeah, but it's not, it's inconsequential. But it's, I just him. think that's interesting because that's kind of what he also did in The Black Flame. Yeah. Yeah, but Liz has untold power that, like, she can handle it. She's a conduit that can handle the shit that he wants to channel. And he knows that Lobster Johnson has what it fucking takes mm. to get the shit done. Like a matter of convenience. This is the guy that's here, right? Yeah. Yeah. The medallion ticks down and the entire submarine blows up underwater. So they got to them before it got to New York. We get this shot of the lobster emerging from the water <laughs> and he's all beat up. I love how ragged Armstrong makes him look right there. And it's a very these, moment. yeah, and these cops are like, "You want to hold it right there, fella? Uh, Keep those hands where we can see them." <laughs> and they say, "Jigs up, lobster." The United States government wants to ask you some questions. And the lobster, uh, he puts his hands up and he drops this little like smoke bomb. It creates all this mist, and you know they start coughing, and then when it dissipates, he's gone. Oh man. The, the, the way they were talking, it's all great. What? Those snappy lingo? Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did he draw the action of mist clearing so well? Yeah, you're right. It's so expressive. It looks really it's good. It's very, it's a lot of, like, what did he do or watch or whatever? Like, yeah. was he fanning yeah, it kind of looks like, smell, like... Did he, like, I don't know, like, it's very... It's done very well. It yeah. looks animated. Yeah, yeah it looks yeah. like it's moving. Yeah. 46 minutes later, somewhere in New Jersey, and we see the lobster meets up with his crew. Hey, boss, yikes, you okay? And the lobster says he's fine. He asks where Helena is. Sorry, boss, we didn't know you wanted to hang on to her. She was a tough cookie, boss. After everything that happened in there, she still went back with us to look for you. We found what was left of the VES suit, but there wasn't much left of Jim. Poor bastard. She told us what happened to her dad, so we went up there to get him. And so we see, like, the skull is, the top of it is cut off. That looks really weird. We wanted to bring out his body, but, well, that didn't really work out so good. And it, like, turned to dust or whatever when they tried to get it. Yeah. We tried to give her a ride back to the city, but she didn't want to go. She wanted us to drop her off somewhere where she could get a train. She didn't say where she was going. We gave her some cash and Lester's pants. She just wanted to be left alone. 
And I didn't notice where this that's guy... That's why he's just in shorts. That's why this guy's just in shorts where he was saying she's a tough cookie. Nice. He's just in shorts and you kind of see it here too. And they're like, sorry if we screwed up, boss. No, you boys did the right thing. No, and he doesn't have a jacket either. He gave her his jacket. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's nice. And they say, what happened in there, boss? Yeah, there was a brain in there with a bullet hole in it. Who was behind it all? The lobster says... If I had to guess, I'd say it was the devil. And we see this shot of Memnon Saw with the black goddess behind him. One of the lobster's crew asks, Boss, how do you beat the devil? The end. The end. And so here's... Um, <laughs> so here's where this first page of the sketchbook, if you're looking at this, at the bottom it says, At one point in time, I think Scott wanted to just print my roughs as the final comic. Scott Alley. Yeah. In the sketchbook, Mignola says, Memnon Saw has metal fingers that should give the impression of a lizard or bird claw. You mentioned the Iron Man Mark I suit, and Mignola designs the VES suit, and he says, One of my all-time favorite old-school superhero suits is the original Iron Man, and I found it hard as hell to come up with a suit that wasn't too much like it. I tried to come up with something that had some of the feel of those super early U.S. and Russian space suits. It does have a very kind of punctual space <clears throat> look to it. I mean, kind of looking at these sketches and yeah. This thing we have in the the light. Yeah, so Armstrong was going to do this telescopic opening light, but then later you see Mignola thought that they didn't have time for that, so they just made this um, the version on the next page. You can see in the sketchbook. What do you think? I think like our original idea started building. Yeah, those are really cool. I kind of like those mobster versions. But they decide not to do that. But I do like those. I think they're really cool. Yeah. And then on 148, you get a really good Mignola design of the medallion. The top represents the secret fire, the power used by the ancient Hyperboreans. Cool. Twin serpents speaking or singing out of the eye holes of the skull. Serpents represent Hecate, the black goddess, secret knowledge, triumph over death. Yeah, so that was really great. And I really... I remember loving this when it came out, and it still really held up well. And I think Mark Tweedell did such a good job because at the end of The Warning, Devon's like, hey, I found the lobster's hideout. And then now we read this, and we've been exposed to Guilford or Memnon Saw already, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It just is, is a perfect spot to put this trade and uh, I really, I really liked Word Fit. I like yeah, this reading order a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. weird like transition. Yeah, but it, you know, it worked, when you get into the story, when you dig into it, it really works. And it's almost like you know, because like in the you know, we saw how the lobster took down um, Gilbert from um, in the Ghost World or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, that have, yes. So this is like we're getting to see lobsters' first interaction with Gilbert. Yes, uh, they have a prior history. I also want to point out, I really like these uh, sketches of the lobsters uh, later in the back of the book. Yeah, yeah thank you for pointing those out. Guy Davis designed m most of this. Guy Davis, Guy Davis has the time. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, look at this shit. It's crazy. So Incredible. yeah, in the sketchbook, there are tons of really detailed sketches of all the different parts of the lobster's hideout. It's wild. And yeah. I think also the designs for that warehouse in Hoboken. I think that was originally going to be the warehouse, and then they... Went with a different version. But yeah, that was really great. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. And yeah, it was a fun read. Well, and I guess it also, like like you were saying earlier, this is spanning 
however many years you waited however long for each different issue of whatever the heck book was coming out and Aubrey and I are just like yeah, the next book. And now we're going to read this book. And then we read that one. And we're just like, ah, consuming well, it. Well, that's the beauty of coming on to something afterwards. Is you can just you can just take it all and in. And I'm like, well, that was an interesting transition. But it really worked. Like, yeah, uh, there wasn't any for anybody else who actually read this when it was coming out. It was just, oh, this book. And I'll get to get my hands on that book. And then yeah, and whatever I think, was coming out. And I think a lot of verse readers do stuff in different orders. Mm-hmm. You come across somebody may have come across this yeah, first totally, totally. before reading Hellboy or right. BPRD or whatever, and so I always try to I always try to put it in that context yeah. of like, look, you know, I'm yeah, I'm kind of spoiled just reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so you guys have read Hellboy, you've read BPRD, we've read Witchfinder, and now we've read Lobster Johnson, and so you're really got, starting to see. All the different, how this is really a a universe, and there's a timeline to it, and things fall into place, and uh, it's really beautiful. It's really a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a it's a very well crafted um, world. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, all right, I'm excited for next week, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. (laughs) Share with us your thoughts on the Iron Prometheus. Send us your feedback to hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. We're also on Discord and the link the link is on our Facebook. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Mulliverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we're going back to the BPRD to read The Black Goddess. So pull out your back issues, your trades, <laughs> library editions, your omnibuses, you know, digital mind reading uh something like that hit up your libraries and join us next time on the hellboy book club podcast thanks a lot everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle renee and i'm aubrey lovelace saying i don't see any reindeer up there boss so they ain't elves (laughs) 